You're listening to the Informational Interview 2.0 podcast. This is the podcast focused on how communications can spark innovation and career growth. Welcome to episode one of the Informational Interview 2.0 podcast. My name is Kevin Anselmo. And my name is Heidi Justo. And here we are, Heidi, episode one of the Informational Interview 2.0 podcast. Really excited to be here with you and have the opportunity to uh, delve into this topic of how communications can spark innovation and career growth. Uh, To get us started, why don't you introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and your background? So I am so excited to be here and to be hosting this with you. I own a communications consulting firm called Career Path Writing Solutions. And I formed the business a little over seven years ago after finishing my PhD at Duke University. And my whole business is conceptualized around helping individuals and businesses succeed when the stakes are high. And what that looks like on the ground, it means I work with academics as well as business professionals, and I help them communicate their value to the world. And I do that through working on resumes and CVs, cover letters, LinkedIn profiles, and use of LinkedIn, interview preparation, anything really where they're trying to communicate what they are doing to a larger audience. And I and those are the types of topics that we're going to be talking about on this podcast. Uh, but anyway, I also run my own uh, communications consulting company. I uh, have known Heidi for several years. And, uh, you know, I'm really intrigued around this idea about how communications uh, essentially can spark innovation and career growth. A lot of my work is uh, focused on helping academics and researchers, but recently I've uh, been trying to pivot my business to support students in terms of how they uh, actually use communication skills to spark their own innovative ideas. And, you know, so for quite a while, I've had this idea of doing a podcast and wasn't really sure about what it looked like. Uh, coincidentally, Heidi and I have been in contact for many years as, as colleagues and friends and uh, started earlier this year talking about just so, what some of our goals. I shared with Heidi this goal of starting a podcast, and one thing led to another, and then I said, you know what, Heidi, you should do this podcast with me, right? And here we are. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are indeed. So what are we going to to do here on on this podcast? Well, I think it's going to look, it's going to evolve, frankly. I think we definitely, Heidi and I have uh, had some really good discussions about some things that we want to do. We have a great first episode for you, which we've actually already recorded. Uh, But what we want to do is look, you know, and it's really a, a very timely topic in terms of where we're at in the world and how people's careers are in more transition than ever, it seems, given uh, disruptions from the coronavirus and the economic impact of that. Uh, But basically, what we want to do is talk to different individuals about some of the communications, tactics, skills, strategies, et cetera, that they are using uh, as they think about their own career trajectory. And so, you know, the first episode that we're doing, uh, we're basically doing a coaching session. Uh, we have, we'll have on a guest and we'll introduce him to you uh, shortly. Uh, but basically, we're gonna, going to do a deep dive on what he should be doing with his LinkedIn presence. And I thought we thought it would be kind of a fun way for listeners to kind of get an inside uh, view of, you know, how we actually might do an actual coaching call, uh, but also to, you know, apply some of the principles that we're going to be sharing uh, to yourself. So to think about, okay, does my LinkedIn profile 
uh, correlate to some of the best practices that we're sharing. So that's one thing we might be doing uh, is these kind of coaching calls. How do you want to talk about some of the other things that we have in mind? Yeah, well, I am really excited to be speaking with the career service professionals who are working in the academic institutions, because part of what I do is I also I come in as an outside consultant and sometimes I'm working with different programs and departments in how they are preparing their students for the job market, whether that is the academic job market or the outside of the academic job market, which people tend to just call lump into one big term of industry. And I work with programs uh, in helping their students get ready with their resumes and all those application materials and their job search strategy. And I recognize all the great work that is going on within the university. So I'm really excited to, to speak with some of the career service professionals and learn what they're doing and their best practices, because so many of them are innovating in their own ways at their own universities. And I think we'll be able to have this little room with the view and glean some insights of what are best practices that maybe can be shared among different universities. So that is one of the things I'm really excited about as well. Uh, so just to kind of tee up our first episode, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Bertrand Guiton, is our first guest. And we're going to do a LinkedIn coaching call, as mentioned. And so without any further ado, let's jump right into that recording. So we are delighted to welcome the one and only Bertrand Guilleton. He is the academic director and a faculty member at the Fox School of Business at Temple University. He's also a longtime friend of mine. Uh, Bertrand, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, Bertrand, how excited are you to be the inaugural guest on this terrific podcast? I would have to give it at least a 10. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Seriously, because, you know, I value your advice, number one. Number two, um, I think that this is extremely important as we go into uh, more disruptions and, you know, people are faced with having to show what they have been doing. Uh, so business schools in general, but academics in, in, in particular, I think there's uh, a lot of disruptions. Uh, there are a lot of disruptions happening individually institutionally and i think um i think linkedin has been completely undervalued and underutilized so i yeah. i'm glad we're talking about it yeah so when heidi and i were discussing uh you know launching this podcast you know for in part for that reason we said that, yeah linkedin would be a great topic to explore and we thought you'd be a great guest to have on as our first uh first episode here uh, a, you're interesting. B, you have a great uh, role over there at Temple, but also you connected uh, me to Heidi several years ago. So we thought it would only be apropos to have you on. It is apropos. <laughs> hello, hello to Heidi. Uh, hello. Yes. So good to um, speak with you today about LinkedIn, a topic I can really geek out on. So I'm excited. <laughs> for those uh, for those listening, can you just share maybe a brief one minute background about kind of what you do at the Fox School of Business? Yes. Yeah, so basically, as academic director, I run the academic uh, portion of the IB programs. Um, so in other words, curriculum innovation, finding the best faculty, sometimes saying goodbye to the other faculty. Um, <laughs> and uh, making sure that the students are really engaged with the 
the materials that we are talking about in terms of international business, both at the undergrad and grad level. Thinking about LinkedIn, right? what are your goals for using LinkedIn? And I know when I coach my clients, we always start with this question because it really is the start of the decision tree of what your actions are. So, um, so you tell us about that? Absolutely. So I have been an early adopter of mm-hmm. LinkedIn um, by, by force, not by choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it is very interesting. So it goes back to my days at Duke University when I had the pleasure to work with Kevin. The MBAs upon graduation wanted to stay in touch with me uh, for some of them and likewise, but I was not using Facebook and I didn't want to use Facebook. I also wanted to stay in a professional mm-hmm. relationship with them, right? Even if uh, for some of them that become a, a friendly, personal relationship. So I figured, you know, okay, they're all asking about this. I need to do it. Uh, it was mandatory for the ones uh, going to McKinsey, for example, right? So I figured if McKinsey is requiring this, it's got to be legit and it's got to be uh, decent. So from that objective which was to stay in touch professionally right i basically did a a reality check about 10 years ago again when i was considering going into a doctoral research program and basically one of the things that came up from that reality check which was associated with the global mindset instrument and exercise so long story short it's kind of like an mbti you know test Mm -hmm. But it, it tests your capital, social, intellectual um, potential, basically to uh, to be a global leader. And one of the things that that came out was that I was not, in terms of social capital, telling people what I was up to, what I was doing, what value I could add to either the professional or personal life, uh, especially through LinkedIn. So I I changed the objective from basically purely relationship oriented to relationship plus telling people what I was up to in terms of making my pivot right between practice and theory, going into research, thinking that maybe I could use LinkedIn for my research. And then to be honest with you, that didn't really work out that well because the the, the academic colleagues I was uh, trying to add to my network were not on LinkedIn or they were not active. So then the third objective became very clear. I, I started to see a lot more value in building the network for the people in the network. And um, that has worked uh, so well that I would say I've probably doubled the number of connections in the last five years. Mm-hmm. So I'm up to 7,000 or something. Visibility is much higher than in the scholarly papers, right? Or even if I put an update on the Fox website, right? I don't know, maybe 50 people are going to pay attention to this, but I'm not going to get into the thousands that I get into, even within a week when I make a, an yeah. update on LinkedIn about something happening yeah. with Harvard or you know something exciting. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. well, in um, my experience, and this goes back several years when I had a much smaller network, um, I'll give talks about this and I'll use two numbers and I'll say six-ish and a thousand plus and six-ish is the number of people I estimate to have read my dissertation. 
<laughs> and then I explain who each of those six-ish people are. And then a thousand plus is the number of people who viewed the first article I ever wrote on LinkedIn within one week. Wow. <laughs> and that spoke to me uh-huh. very clearly seeing that. I mean, it's just, the, it's an exponential difference of... Right. Of visibility and getting your message out. So it's a very, uh, I think your experience shows too, it's a very powerful platform for for getting a message out to the world. Right. And so, so I think, you know, the best way to get out of your comfort zone and stretch your limits, right? Because it's actually very scary when you put something out there and yeah. either it's an opinion or it's based on your research and you're like, oh my gosh, how many people are going to be criticizing it? Right. And you do get sometimes constructive feedback, but I think that beyond the visibility, you also get the the confidence to to share some pretty um, provocative topics. Right. And Mm -hmm. that has indeed uh, actually helped me back on my research to be more provocative and more assertive. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the challenges? What are some of the challenges in terms of, you know, managing all those responsibilities yet, you know, We'll get into more detail if we go through your profile. You are very active and you are, you know, from my point of view, using LinkedIn quite strategically, you know, much more strategically than the average academic who I come across and who, who I work with. Can you maybe talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you encounter? Yes. So I have a structural challenge uh, in the sense that I am not a tenure track faculty. I'm a non-tenure track faculty, which means that I am expected to do a lot of service contributions to the school and a lot of teaching as well, right? So that's not the challenge. That's the deal I signed up for. But having to focus on service and teaching when you know that service expectations have increased for the last 10 years at business schools, and I think they will continue to increase due to the hiring freeze, uh, policies, and budget cuts we are starting to see in the news. So very high expectations in terms of service contributions, which means basically doing a lot of administrative work plus teaching, leaves very limited time for research. So for me, if I want to stay in uh, the scholarly academic ACSB category, right, and meet minimum requirements in terms of research I have to be creative I have to be strategic as you said and I have to use LinkedIn to actually also keep my credentials in terms of you know if people look at my CV they're going to be like oh yeah this guy is running a program he's teaching great he's not research active he cannot do anything for my department he's not going to get me any additional reputation uh, credentials I try to avoid that by doing actually a lot more research than I'm expected to do. So that's a key challenge for me is to find the time for the research, right? And to do research that makes an impact. So when you're using LinkedIn, when you have time to use it, because time is, uh, I've started telling people, time is our most precious commodity, our most precious asset. so what do you th- wish you could be doing better or more effectively when you are using it? Yes, so maybe I could um, you know, scan or sort out my feed a little bit more strategically um, because 
I think sometimes I get a lot of um, things from LinkedIn that are not exactly what I'm looking for. But at the same time, you know, so I, I think I'm probably wasting some time. I should try to find a way to avoid it. On the other end, I am not, for example, safeguarding my contacts, which I wish I, sh- I would know how to do it. In other words, exporting all my contacts in case LinkedIn crashes or, you know. And um, I'm not reaching out directly to people in my LinkedIn. So it's like, you know, I'm posting to everyone. I'm hoping, <laughs> for example, <laughs> right? I'm hoping that my faculty colleagues will use some of my uh, timely and relevant uh, cases, but maybe uh, they will miss it totally. That's an interesting point because I think, you know, a lot of time and what, you know, the, we'll delve into your profile here uh, in a second, but, you know, obviously, you know, when we talk about LinkedIn and when any expert talks about LinkedIn, it's always looking at the, you know, the external periphery, but a lot of the real magic happens behind the scenes there where, you know, you're having a, a, an interesting uh, dialogue with someone uh, you know, that's related to your strategic objectives and it's that one-to-one private communication that's moving the needle. Exactly. That's, a, that's a great point. Uh, at this point, uh, what we're going to do is go through your profile and we're basically going to do a little analysis. You know, obviously those of you who are uh, listening and uh, not in a safe place to be looking at another device, looking at a computer because you're driving or whatever, please don't look at uh, Bertrand's LinkedIn profile. If you are in a safe place, feel free to check it out. Uh, but otherwise, we'll try to paint a picture. Heidi and I will try to paint a picture for what Bertrand's LinkedIn profile looks like and then we'll uh, dive in. So uh, Heidi, will take us through a few uh, first points. Yes. And first, though, I do want to address um, one of those, the, the first comment there about what you could be doing better with safeguarding the contacts. In case I found that not everybody knows that there is a relatively simple way you can just export those contacts. And um, really, the, the clearest direction I can give is, say, just to Google how to ex, you know, export contacts from LinkedIn, and it will take you right to the page, and it's very simple to do. And I encourage uh, people to, to do that. With, and it really depends on how active you are with building your network, whether you put a recurring reminder in your calendar every six months or once a year if you're not adding that many people. And you just, I mean, it takes a couple clicks, and then you have that file downloaded onto your computer and you don't have to worry about the, oh no, what if LinkedIn goes away, <laughs> um, which I don't think we anticipate, but um, but it's a really good practice to get into. Um, so let's talk about, I'm really excited to talk about this top banner that, um, so when people look at the profile, it's really been in the past couple years that at the top of the profile, LinkedIn has given this opportunity to help us share our brand in a very visual way. So not just with our professional picture, but with that that banner. And I think you've done a great job, first of all, of not having what I call the default constellation blue. That's the, the default image that everybody gets. And as I tell my clients, I never want to show that you're okay with just the default. So, so you have a very nice picture of yourself giving a talk and it looks very professional. You're smiling. That's something I really like to see in pictures. I want someone to look professional and they're approachable. Um, from yours though, um, you're, you, 
tell me about your your choice of pictures because you have the same picture for your profile picture and your banner. So I'd, I'd be curious to hear about your thought process behind that, if there was one. <laughs> yeah, so I'll tell you. Uh, so I started with the banner, mm-hmm. and then um, I didn't have another picture to go with it. <laughs> So I use the same picture, and then I tried to change the banner, and I forgot how to do it. Okay, so let's so let me give you a tip on that. <laughs> so when you are in your profile, uh, and you click in the you know the edit profile, yeah. anytime you see the little blue pencil, you can click there, and in that opening kind of. I call it like the bulletin board area, the heading area. You click that, and you can click in there to change that that banner into what I would recommend if you're, cause a lot of people say that I don't know what to put. And you some people will go and do something very closely aligned with their brand in terms of the industry they're in, or if they're really rooted in a geographic area, maybe they use a skyline mm-hmm. for you. What you could do is you can, there are actually websites out there that you can Google free LinkedIn banners, LinkedIn banners that are free, and there are some stock ones. But my preferred site to use is Canva, C-A-N-V-A. It's a free site. Of course, you can pay for a premium version, but there are so many options and it's very easy. You just search in there, LinkedIn banners, and there's a whole bunch of them. You can click on simple, like they, there's an option just to show different backgrounds. So it can be something really abstract. A lot of times with professionals, um, I'm, I use a very subtle, um, you know, the professional a blue. I know we have, we all have a Duke connection here, a Duke blue, something, you know, something, you know, not necessarily bright orange or lime green, but, um, but that's a way that you have lots of options. And if you really want to get fancy, you can choose one where you put your name in there or actually have words to brand yourself to, but that could be a way. So my suggestion there would either to be show another picture of you in action, giving a lecture or, or just simply go onto Canva and download something there. And one thing I would add as someone having worked in uh, communications departments uh, is oftentimes the schools will have, you know, banner images that, you know, they want, you know, the the faculty to use and it has the school branding. So, you you know, you might want to check with your communications colleagues at Temple, Mm -hmm. say, if you don't have another image that you're comfortable with, you know, is there a stock uh, kind of template LinkedIn uh, image of, of the Fox school that you can use? Good. Thank you. So moving on, another suggestion that I have and an area that we can talk about is this new section. And I have to say, I was so impressed that when I looked at your profile, you have something posted in the featured section. So you should really, uh, you know, give yourself a pat on the back there because that is the, that's the new kid on the block of LinkedIn. It is, it's a newer feature just rolling out since about February. And so if anyone's listening and you don't have it yet, it's possible you just don't have it yet. And it will be coming because not everyone, they, when LinkedIn, um, starts implementing new new sections and changes they never just do it 
all at once. Usually it's something that some people see it and then over the course of time, everybody else gets it as well. So this section to me is a really important section because if we pay attention to how people are viewing this, it's even before your activity. It's even before your experience. So it's a key area to showcase to the world, you know, who am I? What do I do? What value do I bring to this world? With that said, I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out what should I put here? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you chose to put in there. Right now you have one post and it's a link to, it leads us to ivycases.com and it looks like it's a project that you worked on. Yes, so that's my latest uh, case actually. So published for, um, it's a teaching case, right? So it's for faculty to use in the classroom. And it's, um, but yeah, uh, so I'm very happy to share the news with you about this one and with my network. It's uh, it's very recent uh, that Chick-fil-A decided to expand internationally. And they, uh, they targeted Toronto. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, they opened up in um, Reading, Ang England. Mm -hmm. So in Reading, England, um, they faced um, LGBTQ protests uh, because as you know, Chick-fil-A has very strong Christian values, and they um, they were faced with protesters uh, who didn't feel that they wanted basically a Chick-fil-A location, a restaurant in their shopping mall mm -hmm. in England, right? Um, and during their expansion, you know, in Toronto, um, I think uh, Chick-fil-A did okay. I mean, they had the protests, but um, England was another story. So England was very um, physical in terms of the tension, uh, the protests and whatnot. So long story short, the, um, the, uh, the case is about this tension and whether or not um, they should consider these tensions going forward with their international expansion. I think it's wonderful how you're showcasing some of the, the work you're doing. And I think with moving forward, so it, it's clear you you get it, you get what the the significance of this section is. And just a, another kind of tip for, for moving forward with it is making sure being very deliberate, just like you are with this case of, you know, you had a clear reason for publishing or for for pinning it and that is the, that's the term we use that you'll pin it with a little thumbtack mm -hmm. um and to to anything that you really want to feature what you're doing so for instance someone who wants to be known as you know uh, i'm a speaker you can show a picture of you in action. So for you, you can think about other areas of how do I show people mm. what I'm doing? And something I noticed in your experience section, and we'll get to that next, but is that you have a consulting firm in uh -huh. one of your service offerings is workshops or conferences right? In presentations. So this is a key area as well, where if you have a picture of yourself and you, um, maybe you made a post about it and, and talking about, you know, recent um, conference talk I gave, you know, an important question was this, and then you can 
share that. So you're adding value to your network in this post, and then you can pin it. So it's not only having a reader look at your experience and say, oh, so he also does, he also does conference talks and workshops, but you're actually showing it. Uh Likewise, if you ever write an article on LinkedIn, Uh you can pin that because this Uh is, again, it's a key area and it can show you as someone who knows or does something. That's how I boil a lot of things down. It's so technical of language. You know, you want to be, become known as someone who knows or does something. But, but the point is you can do that with this uh-huh. section and it allows you to link to websites, uh-huh. um, to other LinkedIn posts you've made and to articles. So I think you get an A for how you are using this now oh, and just you. know that you can... <laughs> You didn't know you were being graded. Um, you <laughs> you can add more because as right as it is right now, you have one item featured, so it spans the whole width. But if you add more, they become a little smaller, and then you just arrow across. So you can add more things. You're not limited to only one or two. Oh, I didn't know that. That's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. So. Let's talk about your experience section. How do you feel about it right now? I feel good, uh, except that it's too detailed for a lot of it because I was actually reconciling a lot of uh, different CVs a couple of years ago, so I need to take some stuff out. I just haven't cleaned it up, to be honest with you. Yeah, so... (laughs) Some people people say, uh, I mean, especially in Europe, you probably have seen those uh, LinkedIn profiles are very limited. Mm-hmm. Right, because people have reached a certain status and they don't need to explain everything, right? Yeah. So for me, because I was changing worlds, going from corporate to academia, I wanted to explain a lot of the uh, corporate stuff I had done to uh, to actually have credibility in academia from a practice standpoint and somebody experienced, not just a, a fresh of the boat um, doctoral student. So, uh, so you're recognizing that you want to make some changes to yeah, that section. Summarize some of the stuff, and maybe you know my corporate experience. Maybe it's a couple of lines. I don't know, but um, on the other end, the problem I have with summarizing or oversimplifying. If I just say ten years of corporate experience, it's not. It's not with the same company. It's across industries. Mm-hmm. People might want to know if I disconnect those. Um, specific experiences I might actually lose people in my network or they might lose a connection as to when when we connected and why you know what I mean like yeah so so my thoughts on that you want to hear my thoughts absolutely (laughs) so if you have a compelling reason to keep every entry and it sounds like you might then I would say lean toward keeping them for now, but, and I see that on your profile now, you have more, um, you know, you have more description for the newer roles than you do for the older ones. And I agree with that strategy for your situation. So you want to establish where, where did this experience come from? You know what I'm saying? 10 years of corporate experience, but the older the roles, I fully agree that you can be doing um, either just keeping the title and not even giving a description for ones that you feel like at this point, Mm -hmm. um, 
there's a difference between including description and just doing it because you feel like you have to. And we don't want anything that is going to feel like a distraction for the reader. We don't want to burden the reader with information that isn't supporting the message that you're trying to share about yourself right now. So if we look at some of the older roles, some of them right now, you don't have any description. And I think that that's fine. And you can also ask yourself, do I need every single one? So just doing a nice kind of making sure this is curated. Um, and if, if all the entries stay, that's fine. But then older roles, maybe you can do a, to your point, kind of as people tend to get um, a higher level of responsibility, uh-huh. sometimes we end up giving less detail. Uh-huh. And, you know, we, we show some of the, the big, um, you know, accountable for this and maybe one accomplishment, but we're not going into four or five sentences worth. So, um, so synthesizing, and then when you are considering what you want to include, something I noticed with some of the more recent roles, it seems like part of what you're doing is educating the reader on what the organization or institution does. And I'd encourage you rather than doing that more to showcase your contribution in your value in a synthesized high level way. So I'm not saying a paragraph plus six bullet points, Uh uh but more give enough context so they understand the role and have it really be focused on the value you're bringing. Great. Thank you Um, so much, Heidi. You are welcome. So, Bertrand, I now wanted to segue and talk a little bit about, uh, for me, what I think is the most important aspect, one of the most important aspects anyway of a LinkedIn profile. The first thing that I think most people look at when they're deciding whether or not to connect with someone, and that is the about section. Uh, And, you know, very uh, briefly, what uh, Bertrand has, uh, academic director and global strategy faculty focused on helping college students develop their full potential. You then have professional experience. You list some of your uh, professional experiences. And and then you have your role at Temple. Uh, You have the sentence mentor to a few doctoral students. You list your uh, classes that you teach as well as your SSRN research profile. And something I really appreciate is that you are trilingual. And so you mentioned that as well um, in your about. So I think, first of all, it's much, much more robust than most academic academics, what they have on their about section. I think it's, it's, you know, certainly a really good foundation that's there. A few points. And one is, you know, this is quite personal and, you know, I think it's open for interpretation. I personally like it when LinkedIn of the about section is written a bit more informally and personally, and I actually prefer it to be in the first person. Uh, you know, so for, you know, you don't do this, but I know a lot of academics, they actually talk in the third person. Anytime I see someone talking in the third person, you know, Bertrand Guillotin is the blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, okay. If your goal is to, you know, engage your network it's not very it's, it's a quite a one-sided conversation it's, for me it comes across a bit presumptuous when you're talking about yourself in the third person uh you don't do that i do think there is uh, some opportunity where you could be a little bit more personable uh i also like to think about you know your and this is a tricky thing because you want to showcase your reputation you want to showcase uh you know your credentials uh and expertise at the same time you know i i think people don't necessarily care about you. They care about the value that you can bring to them. So how do you find that balance between, you know, 
talking about your accomplishments, talking about your background, and bringing value to you know this the, those who you want to connect with. Uh, you know, and just you know, there's a number of different ways you can do that, and we don't necessarily need to uh, you know fine tune words here. But uh, you know, so the first sentence is. Uh, as I mentioned at the outset, faculty focused on helping college students develop their full potential. I like that you're showing you're showing value. I would like to know a little bit more, especially you know this is the first thing I see. You know which types of students. You know how do you actually uh, help develop their full potential? Uh -huh. Seeing you know I think for people who come across your profile, seeing like oh you know that's me. I'm a you know prospective MBA student or you know I'm a doctoral uh -huh. student. That, that's one thing that comes to mind. And can I just add too that I completely agree. I mean, and there are these little subtle changes with LinkedIn where this used to be called the summary, right? Now it's about, about right. we, and it's, it's this little changes of, well, about, it's like about me. I feel like the me, just the me is missing right after that title. So, yeah, and it's not that every single sentence has to be what I call I centric. It's not, it doesn't have to be, I am academic director and da, 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 da. It could be something like academic director and global strategy faculty, faculty member, comma, I'm focused or I'm committed to helping college students develop, like you know, yeah. so, so just adding a little bit, a uh -huh. little bit of the I here and there and showing and, and to the point of, yes, absolutely the value. And that could be where you're showing your motivations. Tiny uh, detail, but question, right? So you noticed I, I didn't put my official title as a faculty, right? Uh, which is assistant professor. I, I put faculty because I think it's actually more, I respect that more than the assistant uh, assistant prof title. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if, if you think it's appropriate, if it's good, if it's distracting, if it's too vague. My take on that, Bertrand, is, you know, you mentioned at the very top of your profile, so right under yeah. someone's image, uh, picture, you see the person's title, right? So right, in your right. case, it says academic director and faculty. Right. I care less about seeing your title again in the about section, and I care right. more about Agreed. the value you're going to bring. Uh, I mean, it's a great question. I think as well, you know, the second paragraph you have, you say professional experience, you know, and then you list some of your uh, experiences over the years. Right. For me... In my opinion and what I would you know recommend to you in this case and what I recommend to you know the academics who I'm working with you know that's precious precious real estate there is that about section in my opinion that second paragraph where you have the professional experience listed there I don't I would not use my, that precious real estate to list that the, that type of information and I would focus more on you know who are your audiences and what is the value you want to bring to them and that links back to you know again kind of thinking about your goals that you mentioned at the outset you know you want to bring value to your network uh, right. you know so i would say like what is the ideal optimal way that you can bring value to your network which then goes back to my point about being focused on the uh on the you the person who's going to be you know consuming this content as opposed to the i the person who's writing their profile yeah. So how many uh, how many lines do you suggest for uh, this about section? Two or three? Uh, you know, I think you know, I think yours in length is is probably about the right length. I would say okay. uh, you have one, two, three, four, about eight different paragraphs of information. I, yeah. For me, that feels about right. I would just reconsider your priorities and thinking about what are your key priorities to put there. And to clarify, they're short paragraphs. Right. They're not like eight developed. They're yeah. um, eight points. short paragraphs, mm -hmm. eight points. Yeah. 
you know, we, uh, for, for the sake of time, real quickly, I'm just going to go over two final uh, components to your LinkedIn profile. And, and these are two aspects where I think are really the strengths of what you're doing. Uh, one is kind of your articles and activity, and the other is uh, the recommendations. Articles and activity doing a really great job. Uh, by my tally, you have 11 different articles that are there. As you mentioned, you're close to 7,000 followers, which is great. The other thing I should mention, you do a nice job of highlighting some of your work and some of the things that you've done, but it's also not only about you. So you have different articles. And for me, a lot of those articles, you know, uh, for the most part, are you know in your lane in terms of the, the work that you do, which related to your expertise. So I, I think you're doing a great job there. And then my just Final point on recommendations, and then I have, have you comment on both of these components. You have received 12 recommendations and you've given 26 recommendations. I've worked with a lot of academics over the years and covered a section in my book, which is for academics on LinkedIn. I've reviewed a lot, a lot of different academics' uh, LinkedIn profiles over the years. I don't think I've seen a faculty member with as many recommendations. And I think that's a great job. I'm, first of all, keen to know, like, how does that happen? Is this, is, is, are you yeah. deliberate about this? I imagine some of these, are, yeah. from kind of scanning these, I think you know, some of these are kind of students who are probably asking for right. recommendations, but can you maybe talk a little bit about how you're using recommendations uh -huh. and what you see the benefits are that you know, other faculty members should consider replicating? Yeah. I, I thank you for the feedback. And uh, I have to tell you, basically, you, you know it, but I have to tell you, everything I've been able to do in communication has gone back to the advice, the support you've given me over the years. So whether, you know, we worked on our first uh, Financial Times article in 2013, I think, yeah. when I was still a doctoral student and I was so excited about a little bit of uh, research finding that I wanted to share. Yeah. Um, from that Financial Times article to today, every single piece of advice, feedback you've given me, I've actually kept it in mind. Well, thank you. But I don't think I told you to go get 26, go give out 26 <laughs> recommendations. But kudos to you for doing that. I guess it's in the spirit, right? So on the recommendations, I may have improvised uh, in the sense that I give a lot of recommendations every year uh, due to my role, basically, right? Because a lot of undergrads want to go to graduate school. But at some point, I wanted to show students the power of recommendations on LinkedIn because the recruiters are there. After writing so many recommendations to show my students how to do it, I was like, why don't I ask them in a diplomatic, non-threatening way if they'd be open to do the same for me? Uh, my recommendation to colleagues who may not feel comfortable asking those recommendations, I always tell my students if they are deserving of my recommendation, first of all, right? So at least they have taken one course with me. I only do recommendations for the ones who are the most deserving. In other words, my best students, right? Um, and you can define that the way you want, but I don't want to give recommendations to everyone because the value is lost, number one. Number two, I think it's misguiding the students. And then once that is gone through, then I connect the, the, with the student again and I'm like, hey, look, uh, I'm still trying to establish my credibility, right? As I'm glad you like my class. If you are comfortable and only if you are comfortable, can you try to write one for me on LinkedIn at your leisure? Mm -hmm. Absolutely zero pressure. Mm -hmm. And that has worked. Um, that was, those recommendations was what for me was one way, they were one way to establish another data point, right? 
something for people to, to triangulate and to see authenticity. Definitely. I think this has been fantastic. This has been fun for me. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. And so I, I, I trust that it's really useful. Thank you for letting us uh, dissect your LinkedIn profile yes. publicly. I don't think everybody <laughs> would be open to that. And I really appreciate you uh, allowing us to do that because I think, you know, it's, it's fun for me. I trust it's fun for Heidi. Uh, but I also really think it's uh, beneficial for, for others. Uh, in closing, where would you like our listeners to uh, learn more about you and potentially connect with you? I would think maybe LinkedIn would be one place. Yes, LinkedIn would be the place. I think it's uh, the most efficient place. And, I, and again, if my LinkedIn profile is decent today and if I have a decent visibility, it goes back to you. And I appreciate uh, the chance to be here with you on this podcast. Uh, and with Heidi as well. And, you know, we've, you know, we obviously uh, used to live in the same place and no longer, but, you know, thanks to social media, it's a way to keep in touch. For those listening, uh, Bertrand's last name is spelled G-U-I-L-L-O-T-I-N, Bertrand, B-E-R-T-R-T-R-A-N-D. Feel free to connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, Bertrand, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you to you. Thank you.